Let's open the precious Word of God to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And let's deal very briefly with a few axioms before we come to the Lord's table. The first one is going to be against libertarianism. And I want to show you from the Word of God what true liberty is. Axiom number 41, libertarianism is a lie. It's a long word. We, it's a political theory, libertarianism. And we have a political party in America called the Libertarian Party. And we want to deal with it just very briefly and go on to a couple of more, a few more axioms. Libertarianism is a political theory for limited government that individual rights are the most important thing and they ought to be protected at all times so that you can do whatever you want to do, you know, as long as it is not very overtly and, and very obviously hurting someone else, but so that every individual has their rights protected, but it's without a moral code. I, and I, I want to summarize it that way. I don't want to get off and chase for miles down some path about libertarianism. It has certain features to it that sound good. The way that we Americans are trained to think, we like the uh, individual rights. We like the freedom of the individual. We want them protected. We don't like big government. We want small government. We want restrained government. And all those things libertarians believe in. And at times in my life, I was very seduced by libertarianism a long time ago. But there are reasons why we're not libertarians. And I just want to lay that with you. And I want to give you this passage of Scripture. This is, passage of Scripture is often abused by politicians. It's not about politics. It's about the reality of our spiritual walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass... The glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is true liberty right there. True liberty is not doing whatever you want to do. True liberty is doing what God wants you to do and having the power to do so. Right. And the power to do so comes by the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit is able to so change us and so move us that we're able to grow and grow in grace to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We are changed into the same image. What image? The image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Libertarianism does not have the goal of changing you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has the goal in order to let you do whatever you want to do. Prostitution, because it's got two willing parties, is to be approved in a libertarian scheme of things because there's no one being violated. But there are parties being violated that aren't seen immediately. And that's what we want to think about for just a couple of minutes. This is liberty. This is a fantastic passage. This is not a political passage. This is a spiritual passage about the gospel and kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the Spirit of the Lord is operating inside us. That is real liberty, because we have the power, the conviction, the motivation to do what is right and to be more like our king. Amen. That's liberty. We're freed from bondage. We're freed from enslavement. And we want to be changed into the same image from glory to glory. We want to advance in the glorious nature 
of our lives to be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, and we do it by spiritual power, not political power. Brethren, we embrace a free market, capitalism, and individual property rights, individual rights, and property rights, as in axiom number 31. But individual liberties only go so far before they violate the faith that was once delivered to the saints and our responsibilities toward our fellow man, our neighbors, and our brothers. Community goals, national good, justifies limiting individuals and laws against some of their actions, and the Bible teaches that. When you go read the Old Testament, the individual is constrained in certain ways in order to promote the whole good of the nation. We believe that. We accept that. The individual is not first. God is first, then his rulers are next, and there is common good that is greater than individual good. Because for the common good, individuals must sacrifice some of the things that they would ordinarily or otherwise choose. God wrote all the laws for Israel, and they, they severely limited, in some respects, some individual activities. The bewitching arguments, the seducing arguments about victimless crimes overlook the greatest victim. Who is the greatest victim of our sins? God is. Who's the greatest victim of a nation that allows prostitution? God is. Are there other indirect people that get hurt that are victims of prostitution? Forget the prostitution and forget the John. Are there other people that get hurt with prostitution? How about the wives of the Johns? How about the children of the Johns? How about their grandchildren? How about the morals of the whole society? They're all broken down. You may wonder about this particular ism that we're calling a lie and we're making an axiom that I was just convicted by God to make sure we put it in there so that we always think scripturally that our worldview is His view, that He is God, and He has said prostitution is wrong even if both are agreeing to it. And there are more things than that. Alternative lifestyles. They call it an alternative lifestyle. Sodomy is not an option. Can't be a libertarian about sodomy. Why? God's already ruled against it. We don't need anybody to say anything else. God's already ruled against it. Because God's already condemned that as a sin. Abortion is not a woman's right. You know, these women that go around saying, it's my body, it's our body, it's my body. I can do whatever I want to with my body. That's what they say. And from a libertarian standpoint, it's her body. She can do whatever she wants to with her body. Libertarians will vary sometimes on abortion. But the unborn child is not her body. Who said so? God said so. God said so in Exodus chapter 22. It's a separate life. And that separate life should be protected because God wants us to protect life. So we are not libertarians in our worldview. Even though we do believe in the freedom of the individual as much as possible, and individual rights, and, and capitalism, and the individual being rewarded for his labors, and the individual being punished for his slothfulness, we agree with all that. But there are limits 
And the limits are from the law book that we have. And it's the Word of God. Fornication or prostitution may have two willing parties, but God condemned both parties. And that's where we settle against them. True freedom is the verse right in front of you is liberty by the Holy Ghost power and revelation to be holy and to conform ourselves to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Every, every ism or every sin or every victimless crime that takes us away from being like the Lord Jesus Christ is against this passage. And this passage is what real liberty is. If you want to be a libertarian, as long as you define libertarianism by 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18, more power to you. It's a great verse. It really is. But it's not a political verse. It's a spiritual verse. Number 42. Axiom number 42. God sends confusion. You know this. I should be able to cover it in three minutes. Or a few. God sends confusion. Is God the author of confusion? Yes and no. Because in 1 Corinthians 14, is God the author of confusion in His assemblies? No. no. So the answer to the question, and it is posed there, is God the author of confusion? Or it's answered there. No. He is not the author of confusion in assemblies. But is He the author of confusion in confounding men that reject truth? I had so much fun sending you 1 Corinthians First Kings, excuse me, First Kings 22 yesterday in the preparatory email, though I offered you the alternative of listening to Proverbs 1 and 7, one, chapter 1 and verse 7, because First Kings 22 is how the universe works. Oh, yes. Was there a ministerial association there? Did it greatly outnumber the one minister that preached the truth? Was God having His way with that ministerial association? If you will look at that chapter and look at every detail, that's how the universe works. And I love how the universe works. And we got a glimpse. Micaiah said, I saw heaven opened and the Lord of hosts sitting on His throne and all the hosts of heaven there. And they had a staff meeting. Have you ever been in a staff meeting of our president? Have you seen into a staff meeting of the God of heaven? One spoke on this matter, another on this manner, and it was the third one that God chose. It's just wonderful. God deceived by a lying spirit sent from heaven. When you see people believe a lie and you do not understand why they're believing a lie, God is able to send a lying spirit to deceive and to destroy a truth rejecter. Because they receive not the love of the truth, He will send them strong delusion to believe a lie. That is part of our worldview. It makes us very different. But that's how we see the universe working. And 1 Kings 22 is a snapshot of it. And I hope that you'll enjoy that and teach that to your children. You know, there was a prayer offered today by one of your brothers about Jehoshaphat should have pressed the issue a little bit harder. He went down too easily to accompany Ahab into battle. 
And right there was the weakness of his heart because he ended up with affinity with Ahab's house by marrying his son to Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. It's a terrible story. God sends confusion. Man chose Satan's lie in the Garden of Eden, so God justly sends confusion whenever he chooses to send it. Right. You don't have a right to truth. That, that blows my mind when I hear a Christian say, but we all have a right to truth. No, you don't. You chose a lie in the Garden of Eden. You don't have, that's a gift from God if you ever see any truth. Amen. We chose a lie. And you know what? If the truth be told in various little ways, do we choose it about every single day? Lord, forgive us. Amen. We love your truth, and we love truth, and we hate lies, but our flesh still loves lies. Help us. Save us by your mighty power. Today's effeminate Christians cannot grasp that their cotton candy God just might send men lies. Can't grasp it, won't accept it. They forget the Tower of Babel. They forget Pharaoh's heart hardened by God. They forget the taking of Canaan and what God did to those Canaanites to bring them into battle, to kill them all. They forget Jewish blindness that Jesus referenced and Paul referenced over and over in the New Testament that God would blind them. He'd close up their eyes, stop up their ears, harden their hearts so they wouldn't believe the gospel so that he wouldn't have to convert them. That is what it says. That's why he spoke in parables. Isaiah 6, and that's the text, and we'll be there in a few weeks. We will be. That text is a prophecy that is quoted over and over in the New Testament, but they don't see it. They don't understand it. When they get to 2 Thessalonians 2, and it says, God will send them strong delusion to believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Those are not my words. Those are the words of God. You've seen them a thousand times. We understand them. We accept them. We embrace them. It's part of our worldview. Why do they miss them? Do you really want to know why? Because prophecy is not a matter of liberty. What do they think about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that I just quoted to you? God shall send them strong delusion to believe a lie. That's just the people under Antichrist. They're made up Antichrist. And see, we know who it is. It's Roman Catholics. Right. Roman Catholics are sent strong delusion to believe a cracker is God and every, and every other thing that they believe. But because of their error in the first three verses of 2 Thessalonians 2 and wanting to reverse the order that God gave, that there must be a falling away, the man of sin must be revealed, then the second coming, they, get, they want to get those out of order and create this tribulationary period of the Antichrist with some glowing 666 in his forehead. Because of that prophetic error, they miss the passage. They haven't grasped God's prophets lying and bad statutes. You go to Ezekiel chapter 14, the Lord tells Israel, tell, he told Ezekiel, if a man comes to you or a man comes to a prophet of God and he has already set up a stumbling block of iniquity in his heart, I myself will answer that man. I will deceive the prophet. Oh. To deceive the man. You know, you don't have those verses in most joy clubs. You don't have those verses in most Sunday schools. That's what it says. It's Ezekiel 14, 6 through 9. It's been taught many times before. 
Ezekiel, if a man comes to you and has already set up a stumbling block of iniquity in his heart and in his mind that he's committed, he's going to do what he wants to do, I myself will answer that man. I'll deceive you to deceive him. They use 1 Timothy 2.4 who is willing that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. Totally missing that there's election in the world. And it changes verses like that. Because it's the one he sends the truth to. The ones he opens their hearts to the truth. Oh, the plethora of lies on earth is Satan's work. Bible tells us that he's the father of lies. It's man's choice. They chose a lie in the beginning. And it's God's just judgment, all working together to have this world full of lies. I love this God. I have tried to teach you to love this God. If you play with this God, He will twist your mind so that you will no longer believe or love the things you once did because you wanted to play with Him with your stupid little ideas on how to live. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Reading some of, doing a little bit of research about some of the highest IQ men in America for a men's meeting a couple of weeks ago was further enlightening and confirming to me about the truth of everything I've just said to you. It is unbelievable. You've got to go listen to some of them. Gabby answered correctly at break today. Who made you? God. She knows it, but she's got it. She's got it down pat. And she just shot past them on the IQ chart. But we don't believe in IQ. We believe in WQ. That's worldview quotient. Or CQ, character quotient. Let's make sure we keep our priorities right. I'm using her as an example because she's 20 months old. Close enough. God sends confusion. Our worldview. We look at the world. That's crazy. How can they believe that? That's idiotic. That doesn't make any sense. Two generations ago, nobody would believe that. How did it happen? Axiom. Right there, we have it. Number 42, God sends confusion. Number 43, Bible evangelism is right. Bible evangelism is right. Number 43. When we think about number 42, Bible evangelism is right is number 43. When we think about number 42, could God have written the Bible simpler? Yes. Does he know when he's speaking in a parable when he's not? Does he know when he's express and when he is obscure? Yes, he does. Well, why did he write it that gives rope to so many people to hang? Because he's God and they don't really want the truth. Whenever you run into a verse in your studying and reading, I, boy, that's hard to see. Lord, why didn't you make it simpler? No, 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 no. Don't say it that way. Say it, Lord, thank you for writing it just the way you did 
and for showing me the truth. Number 43, Bible evangelism is right. The glorious gift of God's truth and His wisdom should be shared with other elect souls. We should want to share it. Most Christians, when you go to their websites, it's almost universal. Most Christians, most churches, say the Great Commission is their mandate and the purpose for their church existing. To fulfill the Great Commission is the reason for their church existing. Although... When you read all the epistles to churches in the New Testament, there isn't any mention of the Great Commission, not any whatsoever. The Great Commission was given to the apostles. We, we know that. They neither understand the commission because they don't understand that it was for the apostles. They don't understand the commission in that it was fulfilled before 70 AD by 10 different passages of Scripture. Nor do they practice it with any integrity or zeal, which would be sacrificial effort to save souls from hellfire. They never really live sacrificially to save souls from hellfire. If you thought your, dis your family members, your, your distant family members, or your neighbors, my Hindu neighbors, were dropping into hell if I did not go press a track on them every week or put it in their mailbox, slip it in with their mail, or do something, ha have them over for a barbecue to save them from a barbecue. If, if I didn't do that, then I'm, then I'm inconsistent. I am not really practicing the Great Commission. If the Great Commission is, souls drop into hell without my effort, then I should spare no effort. But they don't. But boy, they sure will pick on us for our form of evangelism. Do you know that we spend one quarter of our total receipts on evangelism? Whenever you hear anybody telling us that we don't believe in missions or we don't believe in spreading the truth or we don't believe in evangelism, one quarter of our total receipts. 230 countries, our little tiny church. We had India mentioned today. There are pastors in India that ask me their Bible questions and preach our documents because of our little website. We do believe in evangelism. We just believe it in our way. We believe in it Paul's way, which is God's way, which in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you're writing down any verses and you know there's, we've been over this subject before as well from various angles, 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sakes, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. These elect that are going to have eternal glory, I want them to have practical salvation along with it. 2 Timothy 2.10. That is how we practice Bible evangelism. That is our goal. We also know that in James 5, if we save a brother from the air of his way, we save a soul from death. That's soul winning. We understand Proverbs 11 and verse 30 that way. He that winneth souls is wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. We want to be a tree of life by feeding wisdom to people to save themselves from the trouble of not having wisdom. We can't write their names in the book of life. I wrote you this past week and told you that when I saw that Kenneth Copeland has 122 million new names in the book of life, by his effort, he deserves three Learjets. Golf, is it Golfstream? Golfstream Jets. <laughs> you read. Thank you. 122 million. Do you know what kind of writer's cramp the angel of the Lord would have gotten trying to do that? 
to put 122 million new names down. The names have been written there from the foundation of the world. The simplicity of our gospel is saving in so many different ways. And Jesus Christ was assigned to be the surety for those that were written in the Lamb's book of life, and he will not lose a single one of them. He said, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and I give, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. That is what we believe about eternal life. Not a single one that God intended to be saved will be lost. And every one that he intended to be lost and to suffer his wrath and power for eternity will do so. Because he made vessels of wrath and vessels of honor. Vessels of mercy and vessels of wrath. But we do want to be like Philip and Andrew. Remember Andrew. As soon as Andrew was with John, John the Baptist, he thought he had it made. He was a Baptist. He should have thought he had it made, but he had, didn't have it made yet. He was with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Andrew looked at John, looked at Jesus. Bye-bye. Bye-bye to John the Baptist. John didn't care. John knew his ministry was a little flash in world history of introducing the Son of God to this world. And off went Andrew. To Jesus? No. To Peter, I got to get my brother. I got to get my brother. Brother, we have found the Messiah. Come with me. Do you remember last Sunday when I shared with you Zechariah chapter 8? Let us go speedily to worship the Lord. Colon, I will go with thee also. Peter went. Andrew introduces Peter to Jesus. And you know the rest of that story. Then there was Philip that went and did the same thing with Nathaniel. You've heard all this from me many times. I do not want us to meet the Lord as a church, as a pastor, as you, to meet the Lord and say, why didn't you tell anyone else? Why didn't you tell any of my other elect about me? Why didn't you want to share that truth that I gave you? You know what he's going to say? He's going to say four lepers of Samaria were nobler than you. Do you know your Bibles? Four lepers of Samaria were nobler than you. Four lepers of Samaria were starving to death in the siege of Samaria. And they decided, listen, if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go cast ourselves upon the Syrians, they might show us mercy. They might even give us our last meal. So they went to the camp of the Syrians, and the Syrians had fled, leaving all their stuff and food. And they started piling it up and feeding their faces. Then they stopped and they said, how can we do this? There's a city starving. I know that that's not evangelism. So, I know that's not evangelism. I just don't want to hear from the Lord that we were worse than the four lepers of Samaria because the four lepers of Samaria said, Come on, we can't keep this all to ourselves. Let's run in there and tell them. And when they, when they shared, shared that news, what happened at the gate of the city? There was a crush that killed the right man because our God in heaven always wins. One man had said if they were to open the windows of heaven, you couldn't feed all these people. And Elisha said, 
Mark my word. You'll see it, but you won't eat it. Sorry, I love Bible stories. Paul, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. I want to help their knowledge. We want to spread the truth that the Lord has shown us as widely as we can. We do believe that Bible evangelism is right. He also said, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Let's make sure we... When we believe that God has sovereignly chosen everyone that's going to be saved, we, and, and we're sick. We grew up as Arminians, and we are sick of their abuse of the Great Commission and other verses. And so it is like I wash my hands of that mess, but then we overreact by going into another ditch. And then we don't tell anyone. We should want to share the truth of the gospel. We have the most glorious body of truth possible to share with others. So when we have an opportunity, let's nose around and see if there's any interest there and share what we can. We've looked at it from a small pill way. Win them with your life. Show them such a life that when you offer something to them, about us or about the body of truth, they'll want to listen to it. Number 44. Science by the Bible. Or, if you don't like those words, science by Bible only or science by the Bible. Number 44, science, which is the knowledge of facts. It's a Bible word. The Bible word science. Daniel was skilled in science. Daniel chapter 1. There's science, falsely so-called, which we go to school to learn. Real science is knowledge by facts. It is not belief, and it is not opinion. When it is not opinion, and it's not belief, it will always support the Bible. Evolution, humanism, global warming, genderism, our religious agendas, not science. Faith is not faulty or weak. It trumps all fault science. Faith is strong because faith means that we use presuppositions starting from the presupposition God is. In the beginning, God. When we start there, they can call it reasoning in a circle because everyone reasons from presuppositions. But their presuppositions are, I don't know. 60 trillion years ago, there was energy imploding on itself. And they'll tell you all kinds of wild stories about this energy being so dense. And then it... <coughs> Honestly, they know nothing. They can't even tell you about men that lived 4,000 years ago. They know nothing. There's a wall up to them. Remember, science by the Bible. Whenever you see somebody say something, this, 
Scientists say, that's one, that's one of the best lead openings to entertainment. Scientists say, and you've got yourself a joke. You can carry it around with it and share it with people at lunch. Because scientists, they're not real scientists. Paul warned Timothy not to be led astray by science falsely so-called, calling it fables and old wives' tales. Those aren't my words. Those are the Holy Spirit's words. I love terminology like that. You know, it's 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you had turned to 2 Timothy 2, you're close by. 1 Timothy 6 sounds like this. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. What was committed to Timothy's trust? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee, amen. And he closes out an epistle. Don't let science waylay you. Only science that matches the Bible is science to be believed. The other stuff they throw out, like evolution, is a religion. It's a theory. It's to get rid of a creator God. They have never observed it. They have never reproduced it. And their hypotheses for it are idiotic. That's all you need to know. Because you learn the scientific method in the sixth grade. about observing a phenomenon, reproducing a phenomenon, and coming up with a hypothesis that explains the phenomenon. They have none of it. Sixth graders can tear them to shreds just by questioning them and saying, but the emperor doesn't have any clothes. Their sciences like evolution are an agenda to destroy God. Scientific claims against the Bible are obviously wrong and cannot defeat the Bible because this is axiom number 44, and axiom number 4 is Scripture is absolute truth. That's where we stand in our worldview. Daniel and friends were skilled in science, but not the world's nonsense. Any field of science will confirm Scripture. Who invented the word quarantine and the concept of quarantine? Modern medicine? Quarantine. God did. What did you have to do with lepers in the Old Testament 3,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago? Total quarantine from God in our Bibles. I just got to mention these. You know, this is a whole subject, and there's whole websites dedicated to this subject of the compatibility of the Bible and true science. The circulatory system of our bodies. Who taught it first? Washing hands after touching cadavers. Who taught it first and how slow was the medical profession? The medical profession didn't try it until 1900. The Bible had it with running water 3,000 years ago. Water cycle around earth. Pleiades has how many sisters? (laughs) can only see six, but the Bible says seven, and now they know they're seven. Just stuff like that is kind of neat. You know, there's no, there was no Hittite empire. Nope, not until 1958 when they found it. It was huge, just like the Bible described it. There was never a Sargon that ruled in Assyria. No, not until 1894, then they met Sargon. Oh, alcohol, the effect of alcohol, the purpose of alcohol, the limits of alcohol. Salt is good. i got to sneak that one in. Salt is good. 
any field of science will confirm. Capital punishment works. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Have they figured that stuff out now? That if you're happy and you laugh a little bit, that you'll live longer and you'll live better? Have they figured that stuff out? Does it say it in the Bible 3,000 years ago? Take your medicine. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Corporal punishment works. You know, witty inventions are God's choice to bless some, and he withholds from others, but science by the Bible. Number 45. I've got to get to number 45. And we end with 45, and we have the Lord's Supper. I've got to get to number 45. Your body is God's. Our worldview, your body is God's. That physical tabernacle that you're living in is God's. I appreciate my parents who took me to funerals. Tippy-toe time. Peek in and see someone or be lift up time to see someone in the casket. Johnny, they did not call me that. That is not the person. That is only the tent they lived in. Persons in heaven. But God's going to come back for that. This is just great stuff. These are the greatest children's lessons possible. And I want to remind you of that when we come to the Lord's table. Because the Lord Jesus Christ died to save your spirit and to save your body. And this body is not evil. It's got sin baked into it. It's got planned obsolescence called death in it from our Creator, justly so, for what we did in the Garden of Eden. But God made the human body as it pleased Him, and it was very good. In Genesis chapter 1, when He had finished all that creation, and verse 26 and verse 31, He said that it was all very good, and He created the human body. There are two bodies, and only two, male and female. There's no confusion. There's no mixing of them. No, no, no. God made your body with good and bad. Every member in it was written in His book before you were fashioned in time in your mother's womb. And He sent His Son to save our bodies. We believe that so strongly that that body that we put in the ground, even though it's going to corrupt and even though it's going to turn to dust and even though worms will consume it, and Job said it, even though after skin worms destroy my body, even though that happens, Jesus Christ is so powerful and has such power of life in him that when he comes back and says, Live! Every grave will open. Righteous and wicked. Everybody is going to come up. No matter how consumed, every cell will be put back together and those bodies will stand with their spirits back in them before the Lord Jesus Christ and give account of their lives. But we, brethren, do not need to fear that day because we're going to be put together to inherit everlasting life. God saved your body by His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells you, you can't add a cubit to your stature. You can't add a single hair to your head. The body is not bad. Monasticism. And if you ever hear me use that word, monasticism. Conventism. Monasticism are monks who go live in a monastery. They think the body is bad. They'll whip themselves. 
They'll punish their body. They'll deprive their body. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, that is heresy. Right. Touch not, taste not, handle not. They, they're will worshipers. Your body is a good thing. It's got sin in it. But Jesus died for this thing, your body. Be thankful for it. Give God glory for it. David did in Psalm 139. I'm going to say it again. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fashioned in every detail just the way you wanted me. Believe that. Young people, don't fret about your size, your shape, your appearance, your eye color, your hair color, any of that stuff. Thank God for it. The body is not bad. Sweaty sex is good. You see, I didn't believe you said, oh, yes, I, you want to hear it again? Sweaty sex is good. Convents are bad. Abortion is not a woman's right. The child in her body is another's life because it's another body. It is a different blood type. That is so... Will you allow me the word cool? That is cool. That is how separate the Lord wants us to... You know, with science, we've been able to figure that out. A different blood type. Uh-huh. My body. Wrong. Be, give God thanks for your body. Virginity. It's a serious responsibility. Evidenced in your body. The body has planned obsolescence, obsolescence in it to last only to 73. God has rules for our, bi our bodies. You know, the Bible tells us a number of things, and there's a document called Your Body is the Lord's. And it goes through everything from A to Z that I could find in the scriptures about your body. Your body is God's. When we die, we get rid of our body in a certain respect because this sinful flesh corrupts in the grave, and when it's brought back up, it's glorified. So it's different. It's fit for heaven. We shall be changed, is what 1 Corinthians 15 says. God has rules for burial of bodies, clothing of bodies, drunkenness, exercise, fasting, fornication, gender, gluttony, hair length, murder, neglect, penance, sex, sleep, suicide, tattoos, so forth, and so on. The Bible addresses our bodies. Don't hate your body. God loved it enough to send His Son to die for it. That is 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. There is a long passage of Scripture that says, the Lord is for the body. What does that do to monasticism? You say, I can see my body decaying. I can, I can see my body. Yep, that's the planned obsolescence that the Bible tells us about. So we shouldn't be surprised a bit. We should almost embrace it. And it's not fun to embrace it. But um, I see God's word being fulfilled in the mirror. I see God's will being fulfilled on the bench. I see God's will being fulfilled everywhere. And so we submit to it. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. It's my fault that my body's getting old. I, I sinned through Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But thank you, Lord, for uh, curing cancer, curing aging, curing blemishes, curing everything, because when you glorify this thing, it's going to be perfect and it's going to look totally different than what was put in the ground. Right. Amen. How? 
by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Savior that we're about to celebrate is so powerful that when He died, when He died, where dead people were kept, erupted and tore apart. Stones tore apart. There was an earthquake to open up the earth because He died in our place. And those bodies stayed there for 72 hours with the door open. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, those bodies came up out of the ground and went into Jerusalem and showed themselves alive to many. That is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. His life-giving power. There isn't any life-giving power in alternative medicine. There isn't any life-giving power in traditional medicine. The life-giving power is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it claims even our bodies. Our bodies are the Lord's, so we want to treat our bodies well. We do not want to couple them with a whore or a harlot like 1 Corinthians chapter 6 describes, because then we take what who is inside our bodies and join that who inside our bodies with a harlot. And that who inside our bodies is the Holy Spirit of the living God. What? Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies and in your spirits, which are God's. He owns us all. I love that ownership. I want to be his slave, but he wouldn't let us be his slaves. He made us his sons. All glory to God. Amen. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.